Biz Women Rock, episode 131. Yeehaw! Hey, hey, what's going on? This is Katie Kermitzos. I'm your host of Biz Women Rock. This is the place where you will hear really inspirational and really honest stories from businesswomen who have great journeys to share so that your business can truly be touched by it. Get ready for a high energy interview today because I have Lori Itkin, who owns The Options Lady here on the show with me. She is a corporate gal turned entrepreneur who realized that her particular interest and hobby of investing, which had made her a millionaire by the time she was 40, all the while while she was in corporate, um, was information that she could easily share with other people. So she jumped out of corporate opened her own business and uh, is basically a financial advisor. She's a speaker. She is an author. And during this conversation, she really goes through how she's built her business, what she needed to bring to the table to be prepared for all of that stuff. She really goes into how she became an Amazon bestseller, which is really interesting. And of course, you can hear throughout her passion for really wanting to bring this information to women. It's amazing and you will love her. So let's get rolling. What's going on, Lori? Thanks so much for being on the show. Really happy to be here, Katie. I am so very excited to have you. I had a great little pre-conversation there, and I definitely wanted to start recording everything so everyone can be a part of it. Um, You have created just a really amazing business with the Options Lady, but it's so broad, and it includes, includes so many facets of finance that all kind of roll up into your whole professional experience, all the ups and all the downs that you've had. So I would really like to give people a little bit of a background and if you could explain a little bit on a little bit of like your your background of your professional uh, life. Well, sure. I'd love to talk about that and how I got to this point. You know, I think I was like many of the women who may be listening today in that in my early 40s at the time in a career that I never really thought I'd be in, but I was very good at it and just got promoted and moved up and moved around. I was actually in uh, public policy and corporate government relations and became a vice president and again you know you start you work in a place and the money's good and you're getting bonuses and retention bonuses and uh, you sort of get swept up and making a lot of money when you realize that you're just not challenged anymore you're not passionate about anymore and so I know a lot of women around my age in their 40s, you know, late 30s to early 50s who really want to do something they're passionate about. And that often means, Katie, you have to start your own business. Right, right. How, so, did, how did you, like, even get this idea that, okay, owning a business on my own is going to be the answer? I didn't think it would be the answer. My husband had been nagging me to do it for many years <laughs> because it's so hard. I think we as women, we are always afraid that we're not going to be perfect, and it's really hard to go from something that you're comfortable with, even if you don't love it anymore, to something totally new. But uh, this is why I advise lots of women. I am a financial advisor, so everything has to do with money and return on investment, and I don't look at emotions. I look at the numbers. And I always tell women, while you're in corporate or in the government, you have to be saving as much as you possibly can and investing that money, whether it's an employer-sponsored retirement plan like a 401k or a 403b, 
or an IRA or even investing some of your money that you save, you have to have that because if you don't have that nest egg, you'll never be able to go on your own and take the risk of starting your own business. And that's what I had the luxury of doing because I lived below my means, because I invested my money. I was able to leave corporate America. Uh, you know, I was knowing that I was going to get laid off. It was just a matter of time. Uh, all the, There were seven VPs and six had already been laid off. And I knew, you know, if you can see it coming. And I had to think, well, what am I going to do? And what happened is that in a case, this happens to so many women, they're at a fairly senior level, and then they find they can't get the same job, the same title, the same paycheck. They have to actually stay stagnant or demote themselves to get a new job. And I just thought, F that. I really did. <laughs> Tell me how you really feel, Lori. <laughs> I said, I'm, t- I'm too good for this. This is BS. I don't want to do that. And I'm certainly not going to move now that I have a husband and a stepdaughter who lives with me full time. It just it didn't make any sense. So there I was, Katie, as we all are, thinking, well, what the heck am I going to do? Okay? Right. I'm, I, you, you're young. You start as an entrepreneur. But for people like me, we're used to being in the corporate environment. We're used to having an administrative assistant. We're used to having our expense reports. We're used to having somebody give us health care insurance and a retirement plan. Well, when you're on your own, you ain't got nothing. Right. You have, <laughs> and you have got to figure all of that stuff out on your own. You absolutely. And I'm telling you, I never thought I would love this as much as I do. You know, every hour I spend getting a new client, even though I'm making probably at this point, you know, one-fourth of what I made um, in corporate, you know, when you think about all the benefits, I have to pay health care and everything on my own. Every time I land a client from prospecting to closing, the sense of accomplishment I feel is like nothing I've felt since I was in my mid-20s. It's amazing. Well, so I have to ask, when you made that decision to say, okay, I'm doing my own thing, how did you know that that was going to look like? Like, where did this idea of, okay, I know finances and I know investing, like, when did that all start really clicking for you? Yeah, that's a great question. As my husband likes to say, Laura, you're just throwing spaghetti on the wall. And I said, yes, Dan, I am throwing spaghetti on the wall. Do you have any better idea? And so I had to just look inside and say, well, what? You know, they always say, do something you're passionate about and you're good at. Because there might be things you're passionate about at that you suck at, and there might be things that you're very good at that you hate to do, and you need to figure out that Venn diagram. And for me, it was right underneath my nose. I've been investing in the stock market since I was 24 years old, since I got a $1,600 inheritance from my grandmother, and I became a millionaire before I was 40. And this was a story that needed to be told. And so it all came together. I thought, I've been a fabulous investor So many women are afraid to do this, you know, versus men, and I'm going to really devote myself to educating and empowering women how to become successful investors, and that's what I wanted to do. Now, the only question was, how was I going to do that, and how was I going to do that in a profitable way? That's the key. (laughs) So what what did you figure out? So what I figured out is I first thought I can do coaching. I can teach people how to, you know, open up a brokerage account, how to look and analyze mutual funds or stocks, you know, how to trade options. There are things that I've been doing literally where other people might have other hobbies. You know, I do three things. I invest. I spend time reading the Wall Street Journal and researching uh, the markets online and the economy. I do yoga and I play squash. Those are my three hobbies. <laughs> and I certainly ain't going to be a squash instructor or, or yoga instructor. So. <laughs> well, 
Well, so I would imagine that once you say, okay, well, I've been doing this for so long and this is a skill set that I have that I think I can lend towards the betterment of people out there, there's there's significant things that need to happen from going to kind of a um, – I would call it like a personal investor, like you do it for yourself versus now I'm in charge of being able to give advice to other people. What sort right. What sort of stuff did you have to get in order to really make you official? Well, yeah, that, well, coaching, it's very difficult. It's the financial advisors who might be listening understand you can't give investment advice uh, when you're coaching. There's, there's a regulatory issue there. And I started doing the coaching really just to see was I going to be a good teacher. You know, I just started bringing in some income doing that. And then um, I got actually introduced to a gentleman who founded a boutique investment advisory firm in La Jolla, California, in San Diego. And he said, why don't you get your investment advisor's license and become a financial advisor? And I thought, I don't want to manage people's money. I didn't really think highly of the profession because I think there are a lot of smart people in the profession, a lot of people who are not so smart. And uh, so basically... Uh, I I went back and I thought I had, had had lunch with a woman who really taught me something and she reiterated something I had heard a man say. The happiest people are those that have multiple streams of income because then you can don't have to spend your whole day on one thing. You can actually spend your plan your days and weeks and months on doing things that you love to do and getting income from them. So that's what I did. I get income from my coaching business. I'm now a licensed money manager, and I have almost $5 million under assets that I manage, and I get a management fee from those clients. And it's an annuity because if those clients stay with me month after month after month and I'm getting management fees that I split with the firm, you know, that's something I can build on. And then finally I thought, well, how am I going to compete in this world? I'm in my 40s. There's financial advisors in every corner. I need to differentiate myself, and I knew I was very good at this, and so I wrote a book. I wrote a book called Every Woman Should Know Her Options, Invest Your Way to Financial Empowerment, and it became an Amazon bestseller in three categories, and I nurtured a relationship so that TD Ameritrade, one of the largest online brokerage firms, bought 2,000 copies of the book to give as gifts to some of their clients. Wow. Holy cow. That's tremendous. Okay, so I mean, that's a really good explanation of your business model and all the different pockets of revenue that you have coming in, all these different streams of income, right? right. What I want to make sure that we dig into is the fact that that looks really pretty and that's awesome, but it's because you've done a heck of a lot of hard work and figuring it out along the way. So I want to dig oh, into yeah. a little bit of that. So when you first stepped out of of corporate and finally figured out, okay, this is what I'm going to do, how did, like what did you actually have to do to set up your business? And what I mean by that is, um, you know, something as little as like, how do I, you know, you just mentioned all these things that you never had to take care of because corporate take care, took care of them. What now did you have to take care of that just totally surprised you, you know, that mm-hmm. in starting your business? What totally like took you off your rocker as far as like, oh my gosh, I can't believe I have to do this now. I- all of it. I didn't know anything, and so I was very fortunate that I am, just by happenstance, I live in a city where we have Hera Hub, which is a co-working space and community for women entrepreneurs. We have about 300 members. We have three locations down in San Diego. It's being franchised around the country, and I got to meet other women. In one place, there was a small business attorney who could explain to me how I get licensed by the city. There was a health care insurance broker who could sell me health insurance. There was an insurance broker who could sell me E&O insurance. 
Um, and then I had not done any social media. I didn't do. Tw- I did LinkedIn, but no Twitter or Facebook. And I, I ended up being surrounded by social media experts, and we're in a community where we all have different ex- areas of expertise, and we help each other out. And if it weren't for Harahub, I think I'd be totally clueless with right. social media. Right. And I had to learn about email marketing, all these things you don't know anything about. You know, you just don't, and you figure out what works and what doesn't. Um, you know, and I tell you, the one piece of advice that I will give that I think transcends all categories and industries is that you have to get tied up with networking events, and you just get on. You just get on every list you can, and you. I'm talking about like foot foot leather, shoe leather. Be out there. You need business cards. You need to not be afraid to go to a networking event and work the room. And if you if you don't know how to work the room and you don't feel comfortable, go to a Toastmasters, do something. But that was that's been the number one way I've gotten business cards and people who actually opt into my newsletter. And so, the newsletter after two years is now thirteen hundred opt in subscribers, and I've wow. gotten most of those in person or through social media. So I want to know specifically in your experience, maybe some advice that you could give to anyone going out there when they're networking, when they're interacting with people in a business environment. How do you how do you distinguish yourself from everyone else? Because I'm sure you've heard that this is not the first time you've heard it, but you walk into a room and how many how many financial advisors are there there or how many attorneys are there there? You know, like there's always going to be somebody in your industry. So how did you actually make sure that you were distinguished from every other person so that you were remembered and people called you and that people got to interact with you and they became clients? So always I ask people, may I send you my newsletter? And you know, with um, email filters, you know, only a third of them ever really get it, frankly. (laughs) But that's, you know, so at least you're getting a pool there. I do original content for my newsletter every month. It takes me sometimes hours to do this. And I pay the only... um, uh, publicist that I pay is one who gets me on TV. I took, I, you know, again, having very little experience in this second career, but doing it for myself, I actually asked to be on TV last minute when the stock market went down three weeks ago, 450 points. I called my publicist. I said, get me on the evening news tonight. And I got on, you know, and I prepared for as little time as I had. And I got on and I knocked the ball out of the park. And then I take that video and I put it in my newsletter. I send it around on social media. So I build a brand. And how many financial advisors do you know who have written a best-selling book? So you have to... Just, I mean, you have to be ready to work 12-hour days, seven days a week. You are always working to build this business because if you don't have that kind of inertia and you don't have that kind of stamina, you're not going to get anything done. You just have to be constantly driving yourself. You have to be self-motivated, and you can't be afraid of failure. I've had people, they opt out of my email, or I have people that I think are going to become clients, and for no reason they just don't. You know, we don't close, and it's hard. It hurts, and it's hard, but you just keep driving. Right. What have you done in some of – actually, describe one of those really, really low moments, and then what have you done to get past it? I thought this one lady had a million dollars in assets, right? And we were talking. I gave her so much free advice and talking, so I make myself available to her. And then, you know, just when when the forms had to be signed, and I'm sure every real estate agent has gone through this or every mortgage lender – she just, for no reason, says, I just don't have time for this right now, and, I, you know, maybe next year or whatever, like, just for no reason. And, you know, I'm like, oh, my God, do you know how many $100,000 clients I'm going to need to equate her? It's going to be 10 new clients. Mm. And, and I was, like, really depressed for half a day, and then I said, you know what? 
I have a lot of other prospects out there, and I'm just going to work harder, and I had a goal, and, you know, that's what you have to do. There's always, there's the whole marketing funnel that you need to learn as an entrepreneur. I certainly have no idea what that was, <laughs> and I've learned. Well, can you, can you identify a few pieces of your marketing? I mean, obviously, one is going out and networking and meeting people, but can you walk us through a couple of your most effective marketing strategies? Yes. The most effective marketing strategy to differentiate myself is because I'm a member of Hera Hub, I have access to a conference room that seats 15 people. And in my newsletter, once a month, I advertise at an affordable price, a lunch and learn. I have seminars on all types of money and investing issues, usually for women. And you, if you, when, you're, when you're doing that for you know 15 months in a row, people, when their friends are getting divorced or somebody has lost a job or what have you, they say, well, Laurie Itkin puts on these seminars every month. You should go to one. And and so you need consistency. You have to be out there. Look, I may only get three people to one seminar and I might get 15 people. I may get one prospect. I may get nothing. But the fact that every month I'm, outing, I'm out there delivering valuable original content, which takes a lot of time but has significant value, that's one of the best ways to build a client base and a brand. And now I'm getting invited to speak everywhere because they know I do the, my own little events, and now people are having me come to talk to their investment clubs, their dessert clubs. I'm going to women's empowerment uh, seminars and talking. You know, Public speaking is very important. So do you, do you charge for public speaking, or do you use that as like a PR opportunity? So, um, well, when I do my own events, I'll just charge a very modest rate, you know, $25, $35. Right, take care of the lunch. lunch, Right, Yeah. take care of the lunch and my expenses and stuff in the room. But when um, I have been paid to be a speaker and I've also done it for free, I will do it for free if I believe that there's a good opportunity that I can, you know, create leads from that, you know. So, um, and I think entrepreneurs early on, you have to be willing to speak for free because that's your best way. I know the, I know the best way to get people to want to work with me is either by reading my book, watching me on TV, or coming to one of my seminars and hearing me speak. Those are my strengths, and that's what differentiates me. Other people may have better strengths, like writing blogs, or maybe you know collaborating with other women or having teams. You just have to find out what you're strong at and do it. So I'm really curious. You've mentioned your book a couple times now. I want to really get into your owner's vantage point of your writing your book experience and getting your book out there experience. So how you, you and I were talking a little bit beforehand before we went live about the differentiator between this being just any other book that, you know, most, you know, a lot of people, oh, yes, I have a book. Oh, yes, I have a book. I mean, you really made a conscious effort to make this a very, very distinguishable book. So can you talk a little bit about that? Yeah, it was a huge investment of time and money. And once again, because I had really saved and invested all my corporate career, I knew I had the money that I could fund the book. I wouldn't have to take a loan out, go in debt, or raid my 401k. So everyone says, oh, you can do an e-book in a weekend and all this stuff. And I really pushed back on that. I said, you know what? This this is my first book, if I say be my last book, I don't know, but I really want this to be a reflection of me. And I am sharing in this book my history, my whole investing philosophy, and I'm communicating it in a way 
that I don't think other books do. You know, we have all these personal finance books that Susie Orman, Kim, uh, what's her name, the Robert Kiyosaka wife, all that kind mm-hmm. of stuff, personal finance. But when you really pick up a book to teach you how to invest, it's usually written by a man, and it's usually dry and overwhelming. Right. So I knew I had a niche here that I wanted to penetrate. And so I invested. I invested, first of all, I spent tons of time doing my own research and writing. Then I interviewed 30 women. I interviewed women of all ages, gay women, straight women, women of all races, to find out how, you know, are these women in their 60s, are they managing their own money? What what um, experiences have they had with a financial advisor? What are their fears? Were they had a deadbeat husband? How did they rebuild? All this kind of stuff. And then... I decided I'm going to invest in all, when you self-publish, you've got to do all these things and be responsible for outsourcing. So I had to outsource a cover designer. I had to get an interior layout designer. I wanted to have graphs that people could understand. Even if you have a third grade education, you can understand. I hired a graphic designer. So I invested in this book and I took a coaching program. The first coaching program I've ever taken, it was about a $5,000 investment that supported me and taught me over the nine months how to write this book. And uh, people thought it was crazy. I spent almost probably about $13,000 when all was said and done on the whole book process with the coaching. And people laughed and thought, how, why did I spend all this money? Well, let me tell you, when you sell 2,000 books to one of the major online brokerages firms in the country, and your book becomes an Amazon bestseller in three categories, and you have sales every time you write a blog article and put a link to your book, and you wake up and on Amazon you've got more books sold, you know that the time and money you spent on a quality product has returned, has given you a great return on investment. So when you, you know, you are a, um, you know, bestseller on Amazon, how did that actually happen? Like what strategy? Because that's a strategy. I got that. But like, there's a definitely, there's a very distinct strategy on how you can actually do that. So can you talk a little bit? Right. And I did not want to cheat my way to it or do the tricks. I didn't want to do free giveaways or anything. I wanted, I didn't really care about the Amazon bestseller title. It just happened. I wanted to sell books. I wanted to have my books in the hands of people that valued it. I figure people can afford to make a $15 investment in something that I've been, they're going to get a whole lot more out of that. And I did not do any of those tricks or games, um, you know, free downloads and this and that. They were sold, and I I write a lot of blog articles on you know daily worth, daily finance, and literally, it's people who resonate with my blogs have bought the book. That's awesome. So it, yeah, and and so it sounds like I mean you've made a lot of effort too to to create partnerships on people like like corporate clients like this that would actually purchase a whole bunch of them, right? Well, and that was the whole strategy I learned in the coaching program. You're not going to get rich just selling a book unless you can happen to be a New York Times bestselling author, which I would never be because I self-published. I'm not even sure if, you know, I'm they, not even aware of any. They do. They they publish people they there who are who are self-published, yeah. Well, good. I'm going to look at that. Thank there you. There you go. <laughs> next, next, next star for you to hit, girl. <laughs> yeah, right. But really, you know, you're not going to make a lot of money selling a book. So, again, it became a revenue stream for me, not one that I intended. I really just wanted a quality product out there where, in my marketing funnel, I wanted a very affordable way for people to work with me. The cheapest way for people to work with me is to get my free newsletter. Second cheapest is my Kindle ebook, 9.99, and they get the hard copy book. They can come to one of my... um, 
seminars, and then if they want one-on-one coaching where I actually teach them how to become their own money manager through screen sharing, uh, where I can see their screen, they can see mine, or if they have the assets, if they have $200,000 in assets, I can be their money manager. So there's tons of ways we can work together. And I also collaborate with other women in similar industries. So, for instance, I'm bringing into my next seminar a certified financial divorce analyst to talk about what are the biggest money mistakes women make uh, going through separation or divorce or after they're widowed and before they want to um, you know, commingle assets and family with, with a new relationship. So it's all about collaboration and just building, um, building more, you know, as we talked about, just increasing the pie and visibility for all us phenomenal women entrepreneurs. Yeah. Lori, what is the biggest challenge that you deal with today in your business? I think the biggest challenge is just constantly the the client development because you know there are expenses to running a business. Business healthcare insurance, as you know, is just is just crazy expensive. Um, and you know there are there are costs. You know to have your you know you've got to have your email newsletter. Um, you, you have to spend on insurance, on vendors, and things like that. And I think it's it's the biggest challenge for me is trying to to determine, am I ever going to have the same level of income I had when I was a VP in a corporate, in in an international firm? And if I can't get there, how much is going to make me happy? And I actually think I'd be very happy with not, not that much income, but I think people have to be realistic. When you become an entrepreneur, you may never get to the the place you were when you were with a government or a corporate job. It may just not happen, and you have to always be challenging yourself to come to terms with what is my goal and what, what do I want and what will I be satisfied with. Hmm. Okay. You're not sitting, no one's just paying you to sit at a desk. No one's paying you to go on a plane trip. When you travel for work, you're paying your own cab unless you're speaking somewhere and they're paying, they're, you know, reimbursing your expenses. Right. So I got to ask you this because I know that you are a very a very big advocate for living below your means, right? And right. you know, it's it's in all of your material. It's definitely like one of your tenets of of how to actually you know, produce wealth. Um, And so I'm going to push back a little bit on this and ask for your opinion as to why, because there's definitely a whole school of thought that absolutely kind of rages against that and and chooses to see more on the like, let's create more revenue, like, let's just create more abundance. And let's not sort of live below our means. Now, I get the math behind, we can't spend more than we got. But you know, what is your what is your um, explanation and why that fits so well, versus the other vantage point of, Let's not live, let's not, you know, um, I guess be limited to living below our means. And now let's go create abundance and create more, more revenue that are, that's coming in. Well, yeah, we, you know, obviously I have a strong opinion about this. And when you say the word abundance, all I can think of is abundance of debt. <laughs> but, um, but no, I guess, I, I guess really the number one thing is what I would say is, if you are going to save, and whether it's living below your means or at your means or whatever, the quickest path to wealth is to um, invest your money into tax-deferred accounts. So if you are an entrepreneur, you can do a SEP IRA as one of the vehicles. And look, if you get, especially you don't have an income, state income tax in Florida, but in California we do, and it's about 10%. And so when you're an entrepreneur and you're doing that 15% self-employment tax, so at the end of the day, any dollar revenue you bring in, you may only be taking home close to 50 cents. I'm, I'm not kidding. Right, right. So if you can take that dollar 
and put it in an IRA, an individual retirement account for your retirement, and shield that entire dollar from federal and state taxes, that's a dollar, and that can, can grow, continue to grow without you having to pay taxes on it every year. And if you get some basic knowledge about investing, whether you hire somebody like me or you just educate yourself and do it, then you'll be creating a nest egg in wealth so that when you are, you know, 59 and a half or you're 70 and a half and maybe, you know, you'll, you'll have something to rely on. You won't have to work till you die unless you want to work until you die. Right. So it's very important. So, you know, you can't make, you cannot generate wealth with debt. And I think what a lot of women do with their businesses is they spend on the marketing and they don't worry about the expenses. They just don't pay attention to it. And you know what, Katie, if that business fails and you've cashed out your 401k to, to launch this business, where are you going to go next? I just don't take that kind of risk. Right. Got it. So where do you see, like, what is your next big move for your company? Where, where are you trying to go to next? What's the vision? Well, I'm continuing to grow my client base in terms of uh, people's assets that I can manage. I can take clients nationwide, um, and uh, you know that's whether retirement accounts or brokerage accounts. Um, I really, I really love working in particular with smart, professional, successful women because um, I don't. When I work with couples. I make sure that the woman is the lead, actually, because I'm so about women's empowerment and, and money. Let's, you know, we have to be honest about it. You know, money is power. And if, if you're in a, in a marriage and the husband is calling all the shots about how the money is spent and invested, um, you know, he's got more power. So really want to continue building the practice with women. Um, also probably interested in writing another book, um, especially to help women who are... Um, uh, you know, basically, if they're if they're they're thinking, you know, can I leave my marriage? Can I financially support myself? You know, what are the things I need to be aware of? What about if I'm divorced or widowed and want to enter in a new relationship? How can I protect myself? Should I get a prenup? You know, how can I find out my loved one's assets and liabilities? All that kind of stuff that nobody wants to talk about. Um, you know, should I have separate checking and, and investment accounts from my husband? Um, you know, really, I think money is the last frontier of empowerment for women, and I just want to be uh, a thought leader on helping women to become more confident about their abilities to earn money, to manage that money, and to invest that money so it can grow. Love it. Love it. Well, this is a perfect chance for us to transition into the last portion of our talk today, which is your favorite five. I did not prep you for this, so are you ready? I'm going to ask you, right, what is your ahead. favorite whatever, and you just answer with the first thing that comes to mind, Okay. Okay. I always forget to prep everyone before this. Sorry. <laughs> okay. The first question I have is, besides your book, what is one of your favorite business books? That would be Stocks for the Long Run by my professor from college, uh, Wharton Professor Jeremy Siegel. And it's, uh, it's a classic for anyone to learn about investing. Stocks nice. for the Long Run. Okay. How about your favorite business tool, uh, maybe something even off the beaten path that you use to help make your life a lot more efficient? My favorite business tool, you'll laugh, it's Constant Contact. I <laughs> love, I mean, it, I, it, I guess other people might say MailChimp, but really, Katie, you need a really good email marketing tool that is fun to use, and I love Constant Contact. Love it. Okay. The third one is, what is your favorite date night with your hubby? <laughs> 
<laughs> I told you they'd be he random wants, questions. <laughs> he wants more date nights. And in fact, I warn you, ladies listening to this, if you go and set yourself up to write a book, your husband's going to be very upset with you during that time because he's not going to get much alone time with you. Um, yeah, my favorite date night with my husband. I'll, okay, it's actually um, watching John Stewart and Stephen Colbert. Nice. <laughs> awesome. We love to laugh. We love to laugh with each other. Okay, um, next question is, I know that you love to work out, so what is one of your favorite workouts? Playing squash. I compete in tournaments, and for those of you who don't know what squash is, it's sort of like a combination between tennis, racquetball, and badminton. Okay. And last question, and uh, I think I am very eager to hear this because, my goodness, do you have so much energy. What is your favorite way to relax? (laughs) (laughs) Yoga. Nice. Any particular, any particular kind of yoga? Yeah, the flowy kind, vinyasa <laughs> yoga, uh, the ones in uh, sort of, uh, it doesn't necessarily have to be Ashtanga-based, but anything that gets me breathing and flowing, it's, it's unbelievable. I feel like a new person, like it's a new day after I've done it. Love it. Well, Lori, thank you so much for being here on the show and for sharing your story. I really appreciate it. Thank you so much, Katie. It's been fun. If you go to bizwomenrock.com forward slash 131, you will see all the show notes there as well as a direct link to get Lori's book. If I had to explain in one description what it is that Lori is really great at, it's at visibility. And she just makes sure that she's visible, whether she's out there networking, belly to belly with people, whether she's speaking, whether she is calling her PR person and they get her on the news right away, which that's a really great PR person. (laughs) Um, And she's repurposing that content to make sure that people are seeing her visibility, which, you know, really promotes her brand, promotes her. So, and as she said this, when somebody thinks about any financial needs that they have, they automatically come to her. So she's becoming a leader in that specific arena and she's niched herself out so that people come to her for that. So I thought that was really brilliant. So my question to you is, what are you doing for your visibility? Is it working? Are you making sure that you're sort of hitting all these different platforms? Um, If people, you know, asked a question about, hey, I'm looking for X and that happens to be the niche that you're in, does your name come up? That's somebody who's an influencer. That's somebody who's a leader in the community. So what are you doing to be a leader in your community and to be a leader in your industry? I'm so grateful that you were here today and I can't wait to see you on the next episode. 